Hey guys, and welcome to the Family Business Indaba podcast. We are the voice of African family business, promoting generational wealth and generational legacies. And my name is Susan Tendi. And I am Nika Amani. And we're going to be taking you through the journey of African family business. Good afternoon, everyone, and a good morning to you, Nikkei. Um, It's still very early there in the U.S. And thank you again, ladies, for a very enlightening and a very interesting um, keynote address, our first speakers for the morning, and I think it was a good way to start this week. Um, Perhaps just to recap for the people who hasn't joined us or uh, just to to summarize a few of the very important discussions we had in, in the previous session, and I think Titi, it was you that said, you know, everything is a process that takes time. And I think that's very important, you know, that we all keep that in mind. And then we had a very interesting discussion on religion, uh, coming mainly from a history of colonialization and um, mainly Christianity. But um, we are moving into very diverse religions in Africa, very diverse cultures. And I think it's very important what the two of you said, you know, it's important to build a shared identity but built shared values because Titi I think it was you that said that it's especially the values you know or the, the religion anchor the values and um, the values I think have an influence on anything else so I think it's very very important that we keep that in mind and perhaps in this session you know we can perhaps talk a little bit later on I first have some two three difficult questions for you to ask latching on to your to your address but perhaps we can later on this morning um talk about how do you actually um, make sure, how do you build the shared history and the shared values? Um, You know, are there specific tools that one can use that would be interesting? And um, uh, Nika, it was you that said that um, succession is not only looking at the future of the business, but the business of the future. And I think that was very powerful and that we perhaps um, look at that. And then we can come back to uh, the comment of Ruth about storytelling, perhaps uh, coming back uh, to tools. But I want to specifically ask you, um, we have talked about religion, we have talked about more uh, following the Western models, while there are many other um, uh, African models coming to the fore in terms of family, business, succession, leadership, etc. But you mentioned something that's very interesting to me, and I think one of our other speakers um, this week, Peter Matua is also going to speak on that, and that's polygamy. And even if you don't talk about polygamy, you know, I also come from um, a culture, you know, where it was dominant by by males, uh, especially white males. And um, I think there's it has got it's it's a lot better than in the past. But you know, women still have to fight for their rightful place, and I think that's the same for family businesses. So how can families of these type of households, and I'm specifically now thinking about women, uh, if you part of you know this patriarch polygamy uh, household, how do you actually govern that? And um, Nika. 
perhaps we can start with you. Um, how can families practically uh, navigate through this very difficult um, process? I think the first point is having full clarity um, as to who is considered family or a beneficiary of the family business for the purpose of um, succession. So quite often in African families, beyond just polygamy as well, we have kinship. So we have non-family family. There's a lot of fluidity. We tend to have um, large extended families that are relatively enmeshed and involved in nuclear family matters. There's, there's not as much delineation in other Western cultures, for instance. So it's, if one is in a polygamous household, is really gaining clarity. So who is a beneficiary of the business and who is a beneficiary of the wealth? And really start with conversations. Start with the why. Um, as Sissy mentioned, her model that she uses is exploring what's our shared history, what's our shared values and what's our shared vision and then working to put in place processes structures um, committees constitutions to reflect that and to enforce those very values vision and um, history you are me yeah can I perhaps just ask you um, before I um, ask Titi but how do you will they be open to uh, if you sit in a situation where there's polygamy or more a patriarch, would they be open to to, to structures and to conversations. Um, how do you actually go about convincing, um, you know, them to listen and to sit down? Is that not the nature of the beast or the challenge? Is how do you actually go about that? I think, to be honest, I've seen a lot of, um, what's the word? It's not a uniform picture when it comes to polygamy. I've been approached by successors um, who've said, oh, we need to put, just as any family is concerned about the future of a business, the future of the world, we need to put structures in place and start to, um, start, I start to facilitate conversations with the wider family as to how to go about that process. Um, there are instances of families where a polygamous household does not necessarily um, connote one that is divided, one where there's conflict, one where there's not transparency in the instances where the opposite actually holds. And so they have full clarity as to how specific assets would be divided specific businesses would be divided and it's it's easy to have those conversations with with the founder of the business and and the beneficiaries um the truth of the matter is as advisors we can't um impose something on a family or a founder of a business that he or she is not ready for um we have to be truly in service to their desires and wants and suspend what we feel are our values or aspirations for um the family we must maintain neutrality um as an ex-gen i often have to be very conscious of that and that there's obviously i have an affinity towards next-gens and would perhaps sometimes put myself in their situations but that's not really in true service to the family um, and so it's really gaining full clarity from the owner of the business as to what does he or she want for the business where is all this heading and then clearly stating these are the implications of option a and option b and it's over to you to make that decision rather than imposing um, a certain value set or certain expectations onto them. And Titi, from your side? I think polygamy in itself is, is a very difficult conversation. Um, and it's very difficult because you have so many other relationship issues 
issues that start building as the family is growing. As we already know, even in um, single families where there is no polygamy, it's sometimes it can be very difficult to navigate the relationships between parents and children and other family members. And so when you look at polygamy, you are no longer bringing together just two families, which is from the husband and the wife, but you're thinking of the families from the, the husband's family and the multiple wives' family. And uh, as it was suggested in South Africa, maybe the multiple husbands' families. <laughs> and so you have this situation where you have multiple family members, multiple family voices. And um, naturally, as human beings, you want to protect your own. So you want to protect your own children. You want to protect um, your own um, well-being and your own future. So the critical conversation that needs to happen is sitting down, especially with the members of the family that are considered part of the family. So if it's the husband and his wives, Um, having a a conversation with each one of them as a couple and understanding what is their goal, what is it that they want to see, what what is their shared vision for themselves collectively or as a, a, a subset of, of a couple. Um, the, the difficulty that we have in, in navigating um, conversations around polygamy is that no one says anything. Everybody assumes. Nobody wants to communicate about um, putting out a framework or putting out um, a set standard or even um, who, who's going to get what and why. Everything is left up in the air. And it also then questions the fact that the founder themselves, are they absolving themselves of the responsibility of having such a large family? Because when you do not make plans for your family, at some point, a decision will be made whether you are there or not. And it impacts your family and it impacts your wealth. So it's pertinent to understand what are the the legal parameters? What happens when you don't make a decision? What happens when you postpone that decision? And I think with what's happened globally, polygamy in, in the African context is because we acknowledge that it happens. We acknowledge that, well, this is something that happens in Africa. Africa. This is something that that um, is is known to happen in Africa, but globally, polygamy is there. How many times have we heard of um, wealthy families? or, or wealth, wealthy patriarchs who then end up having mistresses who have other families. It's technically polygamy, only that it's just not acknowledged as polygamy. And there are now tools that people can use. And as advisors, we need to take advantage of those tools, which is sometimes setting up separate trusts, structuring those trusts, setting up insurance policies that protect other family members or protect the next gens. Um, But the first thing that must happen is that conversation. Um, And the conversation may be between uh, the patriarch themselves and a trusted advisor, really getting to the core of what is it that they would like to see. Not the surfacey stuff of just, okay, we need to do family governance, but really, what is it that you would like to see? And how best can we structure it for your family? And not leaving behind things in, in the closets because they do, those skeletons do fall out. The moment the patriarch dies, the skeletons do come fall out. Laws legally uh, recognize uh, children and spouses. And in more and more countries, 
you find that when constitutions are changing, for example, in Zimbabwe, if a man lives with a woman for six months and over, they're considered their spouse. So, and if he has children with somebody and it can be verified that these children are legally his, they're considered um, people who should inherit from the men's estate. That can take estates into courts for many, many years. And while that is happening, the business is stopped, assets are frozen, and everything that you've worked for just means nothing. It's no longer the wealth. It's now just a complete disaster. And I think in many countries, I think I've heard um, of some of our colleagues in Kenya, who say every time they open the newspaper, there's an estate that's, that's in wrangle because of such issues. So the first thing is to be honest with ourselves, or be honest with our clients, and have patriarchs be honest with themselves, and even matriarchs, because in situations which probably probably are rare, but are they where there are families that matriarchs have that the other family doesn't know? It has to be something that has to be discussed. We have to put in parameters to take care of your loved ones because at the end of the day, we build wealth to look after our loved ones. And when we leave them exposed, our life's work means nothing. I know I agree with you 100%. And I think related to this question, because as you mentioned it, I think I find in some of my clients, uh, if there was a divorce and they were was, uh, or there is children from two separate marriages. L- oh, luckily, I didn't have one that have from three different marriages, but that also creates similar problems. You know, if there's children and, and wives from two different marriages, I think it creates the same problem. So I want to ask you, in my experience, is that unfortunately, the women uh, in the family business are often neglected in terms of especially inheritance, financial planning, etc. So how do you ensure more gender inclusivity? Um, because I think, I, I'm not sure about your cultures, but we come from a culture which is already much better. But, you know, where the oldest son is is most probably the designated successor. So how do you now ensure that there's more gender inclusivity um, in this whole process? Uh, and I think it latches on to what you just discussed in terms of, you know, how do we empower the woman and also make sure that they are well looked after in in the next generation. Uh, um, Nico, perhaps start with you. Yeah, um, it's a great question. Um, quite often, like you said, there's biases in families in favour of males, um, whether founders or successors. Um, and it's important that, well, firstly, does the family want a more inclusive family enterprise? If that's yes, then we can proceed to look to um, correct these biases. Um, so a way we can, there's often an um, Often we see a gender confidence gap with a lot of females where they tend to feel less confident than their male counterparts because of these enshrined um, gender-based biases. So if we want to improve inclusivity, we really need to empower women in family enterprises and look to create structured learning where you can learn about not only the technical of the business and the enterprise, so looking at industry-specific trainings, um, understanding of wealth planning, understanding of um, tax and things like that, but also look at relational matters as well. So on the behavioral side, the skills that they need to be equipped with to be um, successors or founders of businesses. Um, 
another way we can look at it is governance. Um, governance tends to be families don't like to hear about governance. It sounds boring. It sounds long. It sounds bureaucratic. But the truth is that governance creates some kind of orderliness to families. And just as our nations are, have governance, um, we have systems of the judiciary, we have the legislature and things like that. Families also need similar governance so that they're not chaotic and disorderly. And so governance allows for a systematic platform so that families can have a voice and not just a vote. Because there's a distinction between having a vote through your legal ownership of assets and having a voice where your opinions are influence the decision making of a family wealth. And so engaging in governance can enable for the female voice to be heard better. Um, and so they can provide their ideas on sustainability, diversity, things of um, activities and community, philanthropy, investing and things of the like. So the values, the strategic direction, um, the vision isn't dominated by a particular gender, but is a true reflection of um, both genders. And then lastly, through allyship. So through things like the, where the male family members seek to actively um, up, pull up their female counterparts, pass on knowledge um, informally or formally, um, and, and seek to see that they become the best version of themselves and are able to maximize their impact on the family enterprise. Can I ask the two of you, um, you have now talked about the gender gap. Do you also um, find sometimes that... Um, there's a generational gap in the African family businesses that you work with and consult with. Um, do you find that there's different values? And um, the, it, it's quite something that quite interests me. Do you also sometimes find that um, there's a generational gap and not only a gender gap in the sense that you have now repeated it both uh, several times that it's important to have a shared history, shared values. But do you think that families, um, especially the older generation, put in enough effort to transfer these values or shared vision to the next generation and um, that's the first question and the second question related to that is what practical tools can can families use to share the history to share the values of the previous or previous generations Nikai perhaps we can start with you um in a nutshell yes <laughs> so not only uh, is there a gender gap in family firms there is significant generational gaps. Um, and this has been influenced by not only technology, but also, like you said, our Western education. Um, a lot of successes, next gens, have been schooled in other climes, which have different cultural um, value systems, often schooled in the US and the UK, Germany, um, very individualistic cultures, whereas we're coming from a more collectivist culture set so so that does color the way um our priorities and the way we do see um the business the way we see family and our roles even in these businesses and families i think there's a challenge a lot of families face is this conversation on transference of value as though it needs to be transmitted and passed on and thrown like a ball and this ball will continue to be passed thrown through successive generations and i i i I disagree with that mindset. I think it's important that each family member sees themselves in the values and that the values are a reflection of all the family members. Um, and this can change over time. It can change over generations. It can change 
So, so we are not just seeing that the next generation feel that this is imposed upon them and there's this obligation of stewardship, um, but we move from legal ownership of this business or these assets to emotional ownership where I see myself in this. Actually, I care about this. I love this. I have a sense of belonging and I want to make sure that this is, we take pride in what it is that we own. Right. And that's only going to happen when we are co-creating the values as opposed to, like I said, just throwing it like a ball from generation to generation. And then it was great grandfather's vision and values um, instead of we also see ourselves in this. This is just as much us as it is the founders. Titi, from your side? Yeah, um, just taking on what Nikki was saying and also looking at um, how we understand wealth. I think when we look at family and when we hear and family business and when we hear wealth, the first thing we think of is the financial side. So every time somebody hears wealth, they think financial. But um, I think from discussions um, from other colleagues in the industry, there has been that identification of the four capitals of family wealth. And the most important, I think, of those capitals for this question is the human capital and the intellectual capital. How you engage your next gens as well as your female family business members is very much rooted in your identification an acknowledgement of the human capital you have within your family. It is the family members that are going to take your vision forward, whether it is they do it from an ownership um, angle or from an employee ownership angle or just influencers that sit on your, your different family governance tools like your family assembly or your family council. Your human capital is is also centered on the, the various aspects that impact us as a family, which is our physical, mental, and emotional well-being, are all members of our family able to participate within the governance of our family, the taking of our family forward? Who are the people who need more support, who need more help? Who are the people who are able to carry the others? And in what situations can they carry the others? You need to be able to understand that and be able to identify that in every generation because those are the people who are going to carry forward your values. Those are the people that are going to carry forward your vision and be able to make it come alive. And those are the people who are also going to be able to take the family history and be able to share it with the younger generations and be able to disseminate it and tell the most authentic family story and preserve it because they know what what is what holds the family up. They understand that. And you can't avoid that human capital because every single member of your family is part of the journey. They might not be part of the business directly, but they're part of the journey. They're part of the beneficiaries as much as they're part of the contributors. They may not contribute in terms of working for the business, but they might contribute in decision-making. So when you leave out certain voices, you are excluding the value that you could get from them. And you're ultimately, you're taking your bricks from the wall that you're building or from the building that you're building and you're hoping no one would notice. And as my favorite saying says, sometimes you'll be building a hundred brick wall, but you might be 99 bricks short and you don't want that situation at all. And when you look at your intellectual capital, you're not looking at the education your family has, but you're looking at the experiences, which falls really 
um, under that family history. Your intellectual capital is that experience that every family member has, um, that experience that every family member is going to have. In cases where you have daughters and no sons and you have been focused on that, that legacy has always been coming from fair male members to next male members, you have to now tap into the intellectual capital that is the females in the family. What struggles have they had? What has stopped them to get to getting to um, a, a place where they can be contributing members of, of the family wealth? And how can we make sure that that their contribution now is made to count or that contribution that wasn't recognized before is brought to the forefront and shared among the family so that we can see the value that they bring to the table. And all this, it's all involves inclusivity, like what Nika was saying. You have to engage. It's consistently engaging at different levels, consistently being able to pick up on the strengths and the weaknesses of the team that you have. And I know we've all done some team building exercises at some point, but not nearly enough as families. Families. Have we actually actively gone into team building exercises because we think we have this? But the truth is, for us to have this, we have to be able to consistently exercise the muscle. And I think anyone who has uh, who goes to the gym will know that a muscle only you can only tell a muscle strength when you continuously exercise it and you continuously use it. And in a family, when you're not using all your muscles, you're not using all your human capital or your intellectual capital, you're weakening the muscle, you're weakening a certain area within the family. And that at some point will come back to you and it will be a pain point. So it's really, really important that we exercise that usage of every family member, engaging of every family member, and and analyze what is it that they bring to the table. Not everybody is going to bring the same thing. And how can we use what they bring to the table to make sure that our vision comes to life? And eventually you'll find that every family member, when they participate, there is going to be more, more possibility of that intergenerational transfer, that inclusivity of all family members, regardless of gender, and that empathy that needs to happen within the family to understand understand that all family members are part of the family whether we like it or not. Now I cannot agree with you more and I think for everyone that uh, that works in this field have heard or know the socio-emotional wealth theory in the sense that it's in the DNA of family businesses to regard non-economic goals as important as economic goals. So I agree with you 100% it's not only about the financial issues but it's also about the human capital and I actually want to add, it's it's often in um, uh, the social capital is just as important as the, the, the human capital, you know, that we don't only look inside the family and the family business, but, you know, it's about the relationships and the networks and family businesses in the DNA is very good in building networks outside of the business. So I agree with you 100% that, um, you know, nurturing the human social capital is extremely important and it comes more naturally to a family business than a non-family business. And um, I also want to use the analog of the muscle. You make me think, you know, um, one also need to realize that your muscles are not as strong when you're in your 50s or 60s compared to when you're in your 30s. And um, I think uh, wise older generation members will understand that they need to, you know, bring in stronger muscles, whether that's inside or outside of the business, you know, to strengthen the whole 
muscle of of uh, the family and the business. And I like that analog. You know, we all have to uh, all have to exercise our muscles, but we also need to realize that your muscle gets weaker, and that you need to bring in you know that support from the younger generation. I want to latch on to your first uh, your address this morning, and that's quite a difficult question. But history suggests that the empires on the continent traded amongst themselves. So what lessons can families that are future focused learn from that? Um, I, I hope you got the question. It's quite a difficult one. So um, empires on the continent traded amongst themselves. So if you're future orientated, what lessons can we take from that? Uh, Nikai, perhaps start with you. I think there's a huge case for more regional and intra-African trade, to be quite um, frank, um, to see more cooperation across borders within the, on the African continent. We tend to see that um, our greatest imports are from India and China and our greatest exports are to the European Union. And that's really crazy when we think about a huge opportunity that exists to import amongst within the continent and also export within the continent, not just goods and services, but also knowledge and financial capital. Um, the African Free Trade Continental Agreement pr- provides such a great opportunity for us to, to promote trade cooperation across the continent and do business together. Um, from a logistics perspective, from a cultural perspective, from a cost perspective, it, it should, you know, it, this should be what prevails. But our history the design of the the continent, the design of the political and the infrastructural systems were 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 based on colonialism, which was to extract resources and to export them to um to Europe, as the case may be. Um, but we need to actively correct that to see more infrastructure connectivity, um, um, you know, transport connectivity across the continent to see um greater economic growth across the continent. Titi, from your side, I think the greatest strength of anything is collaboration. Um, so when you look at it from the empires, like you said, they used to work together. They found ways of even creating chiefdoms if they had to, to make sure that collaboration worked and it served the purpose. And um, as within any situation, as human beings, we naturally gravitate to finding solutions to problems that we may have. And these kingdoms and empires were trying to find solutions on how to collaboratively live together, work together, create wealth together and be comfortable and I think, which is the African dream, we all want to be comfortable. We want to have healthcare systems that work. We want to have transport networks that work. We want to be able to produce our own goods and services on the continent. The mind frame, as Nikkei says, has always been to outsource, to get from outside the continent, because for the longest time we were told we were inadequate or we didn't have enough. The collaboration that needs to happen is as family businesses, we need to ask ourselves, what is it that we are bringing to the table? What is it that we're already producing what is what services are we already um, supplying who needs it how can we be of service how can we create business between each other and let us not just always wait for government the governments to make these decisions for us let us create our own opportunities i think which is one of the reasons why we set up aff to create that community where we can identify where there's opportunities Trade comes where you find there is the, the law of economies where there's demand and there's supply, there will be economy. 
And I think in on the continent, there's so many areas where there's so much demand that has yet to even be satisfied. And as family businesses, not to see each other as competition, because when when we see each other as competition, we are ultimately working against each other and we are going outside our scope, outside the continent to go look for solutions when we know where our pain points are, we know where our issues are. We need to start creating solutions for ourselves. And most importantly, for um, the longest time, we've sent our next gens off the continent to go and learn. And I think we can learn from, from what Japan did when they benchmarked after World War II. They sent their children out there. They went, they learned, they came back, they benchmarked and they created a strong economy. We have a whole continent with 54 countries. We have, we're getting to a point where we're going to have 2 billion people. And of those 2 billion, we're going to have the youngest population. We have the capacity, we have youth, we have the ability to create solutions from what we see from the empires. They created solutions. We were surviving, we were thriving. And so let's take those lessons now and implement them. Let's go simple. Let's not complicate things and, um, and try to stir up a hornet's nest. Let's look at the problems that we face, the most basic ones. What is it that we have to offer? Who needs it? What needs to happen? And then let's start doing. Let's, start just, let's stop just having conversations and multiple meetings that don't make up to anything. But let's start creating plans and let's start using the human capital that we have and the intellectual capital that we have as a continent. And let's start building. And it starts with us as families because we want to see a future that is better for our children, that is better for our next gens. That's why we sent them off continent to get a better education. That's why we want them to get better jobs. That's why we built these businesses businesses for them. Let's now work together to make sure that the visions that we have in our heads become the visions that we see on the ground. It's going to take everybody working together, collaborating and not seeing each other as competition and not seeing each other as scarcity. Because from what I understand, uh, colonialism is it's 100 plus years ago now. And when people came onto the continent, it's because of the resources. A couple of hundred years later, we still have these resources. So it's definitely not scarcity. We have the resources. How are we using them to make sure that we benefit our future generations. Oh, that's a great answer. And um, while I'm um, my last question to the two of you and to the audience, please, uh, if you want to make some final comments or questions, please feel free to do so on the chat box. But while you were thinking um, or while you are thinking, I want you to share two big lessons, perhaps, or best practices that you would suggest to all of us um, actually to build a better future for family businesses in Africa. So while you're thinking about that, and, and Titi, this time I'm going to start with you, I just want to make the comment, um, and I think this journey starts with, you know, confidence. Um, and, and Nika, I think it was last year, um, you made a comment that I can still very much remember and which I stole for um, a conversation I had later on. And that is that, you know, we sit in a position um, that's not the same as Europe. You know, they have lots of uh, social safety nets. And you made the comment that in Africa, uh, you know, we don't have that social safety 
safety net and family businesses can be that social safety net. So I think it's not only an economic vehicle, but it's also um, a vehicle, you know, that that can grow confidence, um, you know, amongst Africans. You know, um, as I say, we don't have to stand back, but we need to believe that and we need to communicate that and we need to live that, you know, that that we can do it so that we inspire other people. So um, I want to, uh, Titi, perhaps um, start with you. Uh, it's a mouthful and there's many things that we have mentioned, but what is close to your heart? What what two big threats or um, trends or, or issues or best practices would you recommend to all of us today as taking African family businesses um, to the future? Yeah, that's quite a big question. Um, I think the three things that I would recommend is um, firstly, Africa has got the advantage now that it never had many years ago, which is the internet. We can communicate with each other. We can reach out to each other and have conversations. And that is one of the most powerful tools that we didn't have for many years. The ability to be able to connect the continent and to be able to discuss and bring to the forefront the issues that are pain points for us. The second thing that I would advise or that I think that we should look at is not just talk about solutions for Africa, but start acting on them. As individuals, as members of family businesses, as family business advisors, it's our responsibility to actually action and to encourage action. We can speak about governance all day, every day, but unless we're actually putting into action the things that we're talking about, about nothing will happen without us actually implementing all the ideas, suggestions, and issues that come up at these conferences that we're putting together. Nothing will happen. Action is everything. We need to act on it. And then thirdly, we need to be inclusive. Let's be clear on the fact that there is no way we can move into a future if we leave others behind. We have to include all genders. We have to include all generations. We have to include every body within the journey and we have to have a shared vision. What is it that we truly want to see for Africa as Africans? We can speak about Africa being the next great economy, but if we cannot define it, then we're not going to get there. If we cannot include everybody as part of the journey, we're not going to get there. So I think those are the three things that are, are, are critical for me right now for family businesses. That's, that's really yeah. powerful. Thank you. Uh, Nika's uh, second last word to you what 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 yeah. lessons or best practices would you like to share apparently sissy and i are really sisters um my two best practices i would just speak specifically to families is like sissy said communication and really taking time to have conversations to explore that shared history shared values um and shared vision and not just communication where you know we talk about the intellectual but where we actually talk about the emotional um so that we're connected at the heart and also at the head where we can share and be vulnerable with one another share mistakes and have collective learning collective wisdom collective intelligence I would also say collaboration is the next thing to really seek to create collaborative families where we can draw upon cognitive families have a lot of natural diversity that other institutions do not necessarily have to have so you will have a minimum of both genders you usually have multiple generations um, with different people's experiences perspectives and and um, these are critical these differences should make us stronger as opposed 
used to be divided. So to move from coexisting as family members to being co-creator, co-creating the vision, co-creating the values, co-creating and contributing ideas and um, solutions, which is this cognitive diversity and diversity of thought is so critical in this really disruptive world we are in. Um, so those are the two areas I would also um, emphasize. The ladies, then um, I really want to thank you uh, for a very insightful, um, very interesting perspectives um, address. I think we can talk for another hour or two. And I think um, I think we're all sisters because we share the passion and brothers, of course, uh, because we share passion for families and their businesses and we want to see them prosper. So um, just to emphasize what the two of you just said, and it's, it's about co-creating the future, um, the identity, shared values. Um, and I think it's very important that we only not talk the talk, as you said, but, but live the talk, you know, and um, we can also say design the talk, you know, that we really be practical about it and um, that we not only look at the big corporates, but, you know, um, the majority of these businesses are smaller businesses and, um, you know, they play an extremely important part in their society, in their towns, in their cities, so that we nurture and don't forget about them and only, uh, you know, focus our attention on the on the big ones. I feel very passionate about that as well. So Nika and Titi, thank you so much for being on the other side of the microphone. Um, it's been fantastic and uh, I've learned so much from you and I think everybody, um, you know, on the audience have learned so much from you. And uh, I just want to remind everyone that they can have a, uh, you know, they can listen to the recording again uh, because I think it was quite a mouthful. And I also want to invite everyone four o'clock for the next session, which I think is very um, interesting. Um, I've heard some of it already, and that would be Mr. Alan Barr and uh, Mr. Craig Sitting from um, KPMG, and they're going to share insights on um, the comeback of family businesses and especially insights on uh, three or four research uh, projects uh, or uh, reports on the on the African continent. So I think that uh, you don't miss that. It's really very very interesting. And then Tom McGuinness will will join us later on for the panel discussion. But we will see you all back hopefully at four o'clock this afternoon. And thank you so much. And now you can relax and um, yeah, and then work again. And Nika, you can you can catch up on two or three hours sleep hopefully before the next session. Thank you very much, ladies. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye, everyone. Thank you.